there it is. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and 18 and 19 and 20. We'll see. Yeah, probably not. We should name too high. Kind of like Green Bay, right? Be satisfied to make it to the Super Bowl. Oh, sorry. <laughs> did, I, did I say that out loud? I didn't mean to. <clears throat> Some things you're just supposed to keep in your private thoughts. Huh, Joni? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 17. Okay, again, as we take a look, important things that we want to realize. As we take a look, we want to see that these are Moses' final words to a new generation that doesn't really maybe know exactly what to expect from the Lord as they enter into the promised land. All their, their forefathers, all their parents before them, had died in the wilderness because they didn't have the faith that was required to enter into the promised land, so they perished. And now the new generation is going in. And Moses is about to die too. Moses don't get to go in either. So Moses is saying to them, Hey guys, this is my last... My, my final words of encouragement. He's going to give them four messages. We find ourselves in the middle of the second one. And uh, apparently Moses, pretty long-winded preacher, he could go for a long time. So he doesn't end this one until around chapter 27. So we'll be in the second speech of Moses for a while. But as we take a look, we find ourselves in chapter 17, as Moses is encouraging the children of Israel He says in chapter 17, verse 1, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or a sheep that has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. He begins with a call to pure worship. A call to pure worship. And in this call for, for pure worship, the Lord is laying out for him, Hey guys, listen. I don't want your cast-offs. I don't want that, you know, you guys have all heard the old joke, right? The farmer has a couple of calves, and he says, I'm going to give one of my calves to the Lord. And, uh, but he never decided which one of the calves he was giving to the Lord. And later on that week, one of the calves died. And the farmer came and told his wife, well, God's cow died last night. Sometimes people look at it. I'm, I'm gonna, I, I intended to give this to the Lord, but the Lord says, I don't want the... The seconds, I don't want the, the final thoughts. Folks, this is why it's so important that you recognize that God wants the first part of your day. You ever try to give God what's left at the end? We don't usually got much left at the end of the day. You know, we sit down to spend some time with the Lord. Maybe we want to read our Bibles. Maybe we want to pray. He says, I want your best. And the best part of my day, like it or not, is that first part. When I first get up, and I'm, I'm able to just kind of focus on that time with the Lord. Here he lays out for them. Don't bring me your broken, your blemishes. Don't bring me all the, the rotten, you know, my, this sheep was going to die anyway, so I'm going to sacrifice it to the Lord. That's not a sacrifice. In fact, in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, David says something to this effect. I won't give the Lord something that cost me nothing. There was a plague on the children of Israel and, and the plague was halted. And as the plague was halted, as David prayed for forgiveness from the Lord, he decided that he wanted to build an altar on that place where he was. And it, that's the place where today we know as the Temple Mount. But at that time it belonged to another man. And when that man heard that David wanted to build an altar there to the Lord, he said, hey, you can have it. You can have the land. I'll give you the, the oxen for sacrifice. I'll give you the wood for the altar. I'll give, I'll give you everything. 
And David said, no. No, I'm going to buy it. Because I'm not going to give the Lord something that costs me nothing. The, adi- the idea is an attitude of, of truth and sincerity in worship. Not leftovers. Truth and sincerity. Jesus in John chapter 4, meeting with the woman at the well, he said, the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Completely, holy. Not just, you know, the cast-offs or the leftovers, but completely, utterly. And this is what he's talking about here, the, the call for pure worship. And he says in verse 2, If there's found among you, within any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, a man or woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God and transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or the moon or any of the hosts of heaven which I have not commanded, as it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. We've already studied in earlier chapters, if they fell into idol worship, if they were wrapped up in idol worship, the Lord said, take them outside the city and stone them. The total cutting off of anything that's going to hold you back or infect other people around you. And when we consider that, think of it like this. Jesus said in the Gospels, if your right hand caused you to sin, what? Cut off. Now the idea is not that we would run around with, a, with only one hand or no hands and no feet. But the concept that he's teaching is to cut off sin. Keep sin. Some people like to play with it. They like to tickle it. They like to say, I can, I can dabble in this. I can dabble in that. I can just, you know, I'm not quite stepping all the way over the edge. But you see, God drew very firm lines in the sand. And he said, listen, if you cross this line, then you're to be put to death. The concept for the children of Israel is, I don't want to cross over that line. It's going to affect me. The reality of what took place is, they didn't practice that and they fell into idolatry. They fell into this false worship. But God says, listen, if you see it, if you hear about it, the first thing he said is, seek after it diligently. Now he's going to talk to us a little bit uh, about God's concept of, of corporal punishment or uh, the death penalty, if you will. And he's first thing he says is, if you hear about it, you will inquire diligently. You didn't just take somebody's word for it. You were to inquire diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you will bring out to your gates a man or woman who has committed the wicked thing and will stone to death that man or woman with stones. Whoever is deserving of death will be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one. And now God mixes some things in here in his concept of of the death penalty. And that is uh, that there's got to be substantiated proof in the voice of two or three witnesses. And those witnesses, guys, those witnesses had more responsibility than to just stand in a courtroom and make their accusation. Because if that person was found guilty, then those witnesses were the first ones to pick up stones. So when you think about whether or not someone's going to testify, whether or not someone's going to stand up and bear witness to the death penalty for someone uh, for the, the, the sin of idolatry, 
yet to recognize it by saying, I will bear witness. That also meant I'm the first one with a stone in my hand. So it wasn't something that they took lightly. It wasn't something that they, that they were just haphazard about running around and, and doing this. In verse 7 he says, The hands of the witnesses will be the first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hands of all the people. So you shall put away evil from among you. See, God's concept that he's saying is to take evil out of your life. Not to keep it in a corner. Not to keep it behind closed doors. But to keep it out of your life. Why? Folks, all throughout the, the, the Pentateuch that we've been studying, the first five books of the Bible, God lets us know that clean can become unclean by what it associates with. That means that which is righteous or holy or following the Lord and trying to do good by Him can be brought down simply by being in contact with that which is not clean. You never take, if you took a dirty shirt and rub it up next to a clean shirt, the dirty shirt don't get clean. The clean shirt gets dirty. That's what God is laying out. And He says, listen, if you want to Keep yourself pure and to walk with your Lord. And you want to walk a blameless walk, as the scripture lays out for us. And there's things you got to cut out of your life. You got to make a decision. It's more important for me to walk with the Lord or it's more important for me to exercise this liberty. But in the New Testament, the scripture tells us this. Cast aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you. And run with endurance the race that is set before you. Life lasts a long time. Sometimes longer for others and shorter for others. But any way you look at it, there is a long journey in front of us. And in that long journey, you have need of endurance. And if you want to walk that walk with the Lord, the Bible says, cast aside every weight. That's anything that would hold you back. Here the Lord is saying, listen, if you allow people who are idol worshipers in your midst, you will become an idol worshiper. If you allow people who are living a life filled with sin to be the center of your life, then you are going to become just like them. It doesn't work the other way around. Clean doesn't make dirty clean just by hanging out. It becomes dirty, soiled. Does that mean we should have no contact? Well, the Lord laid it out like this. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship does light have with darkness? Does that mean we have to be out of the world? We shouldn't be around any of it? We withdraw and isolate ourselves? No, the Lord said, I want you to be light in the world. He wants us to be in areas where we can minister, where we can love, where we can be a light and salt and preservative for the world. But if we're going to be that, we cannot be all wrapped up in it at the same time. If we allow it in the midst, then we become like that. It will stain us, like Jesus said, cut off sin. Don't play with it. Like Moses is laying out for them here. If you allow these idolaters to come into the midst, you will become idolaters. And ultimately, that's what we see the children of Israel doing. Now he's going to build on... The concept of the wisdom of God in verse 8. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you will 
Arise and go up to the place which your Lord your God chooses. Now ultimately that's going to be Jerusalem to the temple. And you will come to the priests, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days and inquire of them and they will pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. In essence, he's laying out, if there is something that's too hard for you to solve, then rather than having an appellate court system like we have in our country today, they would just take that case all the way to Jerusalem. That was the final authority, the final place. They would give judgment, and you would follow whatever judgment they were given. There was no appellate system uh, that they had in the nation of Israel, just like there was no prison system. They just followed the law that God laid out for them. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place, which the Lord chooses. And you will be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you. You shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce. Now the man who acts presumptuously... Will and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man will surely die. So you will put away the evil from Israel. Okay, now he's looking at something differently. There's a case too hard for you to solve. You bring it in to, to Jerusalem. And at Jerusalem, the judge in Jerusalem and the high priest, they're going to hear your case. They're going to consider what the word of the, of the Lord teaches. They're going to seek the wisdom of God. And they're going to give judgment and when they give that judgment if that man or woman in presumption says i'm not going to follow what they say what do they know who are they then god says take him outside the city and stone him same concept take evil from outside of the camp don't allow it to grow inside the camp or rebellion will grow what do we see occur in the nation of israel rebellion grows because they never dealt with it and again, God is laying out for him this concept of, of the revelation that Lord, the Lord gives him for each period that they're in, for the time that they're prepared to receive it. He lays out for him, hey, if you want to continue to walk, to make it, you can't allow these things just to occur. For what you tolerate, you encourage. Do you understand that? What you tolerate, you encourage. Now... In the small scale, I see this work out on a, on a football team in a number of different ways. And in one way, it, we, we had every morning for football practice at 6 in the morning, uh, about an hour and a half before school started, we had weights. It wasn't optional. You know, if mom and dad said, uh, you can't go lift weights, then mom and dad said you couldn't play football. It's okay with me. It didn't matter to me. But if while all those kids are coming at 6 in the morning and they're working out and they're, and they're doing things and you see coming in a few stragglers 20 minutes late and you just don't say nothing about it, the next day you have more. The next day you have more. Pretty soon everybody's 20 minutes late. But if you take care of it, that moment that you see it, you take care of it, you don't tolerate it, then everybody stays on time. They understand this is the line. These are the boundaries. And God is trying to lay out the boundaries for the children of Israel. So that they'll walk in them. So that they'll accept it. They'll receive what God says. They'll apply what God says. And they'll walk with Him. They'll be blessed as they walk with Him. But 
Ultimately, again, we don't see him obey these things. And all the people will hear and fear and no longer act presumptuously. If you don't want the people to rebel against the word of the high priest and the word of the judge in Jerusalem, then make sure that they abide by his judgment. But if he gives a judgment and you just let it go and some guy says, I'm not going to listen to that guy, he's, and he walks off, then that attitude is going to infect everybody else in Jerusalem. It doesn't just infect the one person. So God's saying, cut it out. Cut it out. Don't let it be named among you. Verse 14, now when you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the other nations that are around me, then you will surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. Now in this verse, 400 years before it occurs, God is through Moses saying, one day you're going to ask for a king. One day it's not going to be enough to have the Lord lead you and give you his word through the high priest or the judges. And we see that occur in the time of Samuel. Samuel is walking with the Lord and the people say, hey, we want to be like every other nation. Now think about it. When God called the nation of Israel out from among the nations, he called them to separate them from everybody else. So they weren't like everybody else. And what was their desire? Just to be like everybody else. Well, we see the same thing occurring, at least I see the same thing occurring with my kids. With my kids who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and and they want to walk with Him, but at the same time they want to fit in with everybody else. And they're, they're opposing views. They don't exist, they can't exist at the same time with with any any good effect so the lord is laying out for the people hey the day is coming you're not going to be satisfied with me in fact when that day came and we read about it in first samuel samuel said he was feeling bummed because he felt like the people had rejected him and the lord said to him samuel the people have not rejected you from ruling over them they have rejected me they didn't reject samuel they rejected the lord And here, 400 years before it happens, we got Moses laying out for the people. Hey, guys, the day is going to come when you are going to ask for a king. So let me give you the rules on how your king's going to be picked. The first rule, he says, it'll be one whom the Lord your God chooses. Was God's choice. God, nowhere in the scriptures, other than later on when he makes a promise to David, talks about a succession of birth. Because God says, I'm going to pick who the king's going to be. The Lord picking who that person would be. And then he says, and he shall be from among your brethren. He shall be one of your brothers, a member of the family of Israel, not an outsider, not a foreigner. From among your brethren, you will set his king over you. And you may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So the, the two rules, God picked him and he had to be a Jew, had to be of the nation of Israel. And then he's going to lay out these next three rules for the kings. Actually, he's going to lay out four of them. And we're going to see if the kings that we know of, as we take a look at the kings of Israel, kept any of these rules. Again, Moses is speaking to upcoming generation. Guys, you want to keep walking after the Lord. You want to have good success in your relationship with God. 
Keep all sin away from you. Cut out the idolater. Don't allow an idolater to be in your midst. Don't allow a rebellious person to be in your midst. Stay focused and following the Lord because all those things will, will, will cause you to defect or turn your back. And kings, three rules. Four, but you shall, one, not multiply horses for himself. He shall not multiply horses for himself. Now, in that day and time, what are we talking about when we talk about horsepower? We're talking about the military. We're talking about military might. Hey, at that time of the world, the strongest army, armies had chariots. They had heavy horse. They had the ability to, to attack and fight from horseback, which greatly attributed to the abilities of the warriors that, that rode on those horses. But God says, listen, you will not multiply horses for yourself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Don't multiply horses for yourself. Well, if you come with me to Israel, we're going to go to Megiddo. And in Megiddo, you'll see that they, in, in the piece of pie that they've sliced out of that tell, they have found something that belonged to Solomon. That Megiddo was one of Solomon's chariot cities where he stationed his multitude of horses. And where did he get them from? Egypt. Egypt. So the first thing God says, don't multiply horses. Don't put all your trust in your military. Don't put all your trust somewhere else, all your effort in something else, but to keep their eyes on the Lord. So the warning to the king, hey, keep this focus. Don't multiply horses. Second thing, neither shall he multiply wives for himself. How many wives is enough? One. What does it say in, in the book of Genesis? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to who? His wife. Singular. One. Book of Genesis is the first book, right? The beginning. Jesus would say, in the beginning it was not so. In the beginning, it was one man, one woman, for one life. Forever. Here he says, for the kings that are coming... They shall not multiply wives. Pretty hard to get around this. They shall not multiply wives for themselves. Why? Lest his heart turn away from the Lord. Next thing that we see in Solomon's life is he had a number of wives. Some 700 wives and 300 concubines. A concubine is in essence a wife without rights. They had no right to inheritance. If he died, they were just gone. They didn't get anything. Wives had right to inheritance. Concubines had no right. Their children were still or could still be heirs, but they were not or did not have the right to inheritance. So he's got a thousand. How many, too many is that? Like 999, right? The Lord said, listen, when you guys have a king... Don't multiply horses. Solomon did that. Don't multiply wives. Solomon did that. What's the third one? The third thing he says, then, 
He shall, uh, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. The Bible tells us that at the time of Solomon, there was so much silver and gold in the land, they stopped counting it. Didn't need to count it anymore. There's so much gold and silver. Listen, what's the emphasis? The emphasis that we see the Lord making. Don't keep your focus on your military might. Second thing, don't make your focus on your own uh, uh, personal pleasure or personal wealth. If you're going to serve as king, these things shouldn't be your primary focus. What else do you have to think about if you have a thousand wives? You're too busy to do anything for the nation. That's, um, what, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of three anniversaries a day? Yeah, you're busy, brother. And if you're not busy, somebody's mad. You're just endless, endless. Don't make your focus your personal wealth, your personal pleasure, or the military might. That that shouldn't be your focus. But listen to verse 18. And it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he will write for himself a copy of this law in a book. So what he would do is sit down with a book of Deuteronomy, and he would write it out. Write out the final words of Moses, the summation of the law. Write out the final words and instructions that he gives. So every king was to sit down and write these three rules out. Don't multiply horses. Don't multiply wives. Don't multiply silver and gold. That would help them stay on track, right? They were to copy the book of Deuteronomy. Now, fortunately, it wasn't the entire Bible. There's some argument. Some say it was the first five books. But whatever it was, they were to copy that out. That's the first part of it. Make himself a copy of the law of this book. From the one before the priest, the Levites. So they were to get the scroll from the priests and the Levites and make a copy. And it shall be with him and he will read it all the days of his life. Every day he was supposed to read the word. Every day he was to read the law. Every day he was to commune with the Lord in that way. Every day he was to stay focused on him. Does that change how someone would rule? Would that change? I mean, honestly, if, it, if you had to write out a copy of the Bible and read it every single day, there are definitely some choices that you make that you will know are in opposition to what God's Word says, right? One of the great disservices that, that kind of occurred across the nation, especially in the United States, is a drifting away from uh, expositional teaching of the Word of God and getting into to, to more topical stuff. The churches that I grew up in, we didn't ever use, do series where we went through books. There are whole books of the Bible. I didn't even know where they were. Whether they were in the Bible or not. But the concept of going through the Bible verse by verse. Chapter by chapter. To read it all. Paul said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Which part of the counsel of God is, has no value to us? The scripture lays out for us. That Jesus said to the devil, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by how many words? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You mean even them words that are six pages of, uh, you know, yeah, John beget, Paul beget, Frank beget, Tom beget, all the way through the genealogies? Yeah, every single word, every single word has value and application. And application, you know what I'm reminded about every time I look at the genealogies? That God knew everybody's name. And if he knew them, he knows me. Not only does he know me, he says, I'm not ashamed to be called by your name. I'm not ashamed if Jackie says, I'm his God. Even though Jackie's not perfect. And he messed up just five minutes ago, he sinned. But it doesn't matter. I'm not ashamed to be called by his name. When we look at the scripture, we want to recognize if you and I, how much is our lives different if we're in the word every day? If we're in the word every day, one of the greatest things that they come out with is uh, through the Bible. What's it in a year, right? A year through the Bible in a year. Isn't that what they're called? I never read the cover of it. But the idea is that it gives you like multiple readings. They set it up and you just read whatever that day is. Whatever that day says, you open up and you read it. You're going to get some of the gospel. You're going to get some of the Old Testament. You're going to get some of the psalm. And you're going to get a proverb every single day. But if you stay faithful and you read it every day for a year, you will have read every word out of the Word of God. That's going to have an effect in your life. Will that have an effect on what you do, where you go, what you say. Will it help guide and direct you? Will God speak to you in that time? Sure he will. Just like he would have to the kings. Did they obey that? Well, we know Solomon broke all three of them. And just in case you were wondering, he wasn't the first. Anybody know how many wives David had? Solomon learned it somewhere, right? Read the stories of David. Every time he saved a damsel in distress, he married her. And he did that four or five times at least. And that's just the damsels he saved. That doesn't count for the women he saw taking baths from the roof of his house. He had multiple wives. He multiplied horses. He multiplied gold and silver. We see them not taking the word of God... For, for its value. You know, the cool thing is you come to, as we go through the book of Kings, we'll see it. As we do the study of the Kings, you'll discover kings who didn't even know that the law existed. They didn't even know. They stumbled upon it. They found this scroll and said, what's this scroll? And they read it and realized, oh my gosh, we're so far away from what God's called us to do. And there'd be a revival in the land. How did that revival come? Through... The word of God. The word of God working in their lives. And them going through and bringing revival to the land. If only they had heeded the words of Moses. And made the word of God a part of their life every day. All the days of your life. By the way, is all the days of your life. No vacations. It's one of the biggest struggles for me. Because I don't have any problem. Every day, I'm in the Word. And then, Kathy and I go to the beach for a week. 
And I'll blink, and a week went by, and I didn't crack the word one time. Didn't crack the word one time because I'm on vacation. No, there's no vacation from God. If you're on a vacation from God, that's bad. They call that place hell. I don't want to be there. <laughs> but I want to, I want to understand, and, and I love the Word. I love reading the Word. I love studying the Word, but that's how easy it happens. That's how easy it happens. Make the habit, make it a part of your life every day and see what it does. See if you don't rule your home a little better. See if you don't rule your life a little better. See if you put all your trust in the military might. Is the military might of the United States going to save us? I had Marine Corps, they're pretty tough. Navy SEALs, those guys are pretty amazing. Are they going to be able to save us? They can't save us. What about gold and silver? How, how's the market doing? Is that going to save us? That ain't going to save us. That's not going to save us. What about all this, this chasing of, of pleasure, being married 17 different times to 14 different people? Is that going to save us? Am I going to find satisfaction or satiation in the multiplicity of relationships? No. I'm going to find it one place. One place with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. One place. One place will satisfy. One place is going to carry me through. And that was the warning to the kings. Verse 19, he says, And it will be with him, and he will read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren. So what is it that the word of God did in his life? It brought humility to the king. That the king wouldn't lord it over. I, I think some of our leaders should do that, don't you? Don't you think it's ridiculous that they can pass laws that they don't have to live by? I mean, that just... How... Someone thought that was a good idea. It boggles my mind. Oh, I can pass health care reform for you, but I don't have to do it. Because uh, I am a member of Congress. You know, I, I have a retirement. Oh, never mind that I probably make more in a year than, than most of the people in the United States times 10. And never mind that I have... Complete and utter total health care covered for life. Even if I've only served one time. I like that little email that floats around saying that, what is it, the 28th Amendment or something? I'm so lame, I don't even know how many amendments we have. be honest with you, I don't even care how many amendments we have. I don't think we live by them anyway. But that say that Congress will not pass anything that they don't have to live by. They think they're above it, right? They're above the law. But see, God said for the king to read the word of God every day of his life so that he would be humble and not exalt himself above his brethren. He would realize, I'm just another one of the guys. I'm just another one of the guys that God had given responsibility to. That he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left. So that he would stay on the road that God had for the king, for the nation of Israel. The blessings that God wanted to pour upon them. If he stayed in the word every day, it would keep him on that path. What did the psalmist say in the the 119th Psalm? 
He said that the word of God keeps us from sinning, right? Thy word have I hid in my heart that what? I might not sin against you. What else does he say about the word of God? That the word of God would guide his steps, right? It was a light unto his feet, a lamp unto his path. It showed him the way to go. Do you know that the longest chapter in the Bible is 119th Psalm? Do you know what it's about? The word of God. Every verse points to the word of God. What the word of God accomplishes in their life. So, it kept the king humble. It kept the king on, on task. <clears throat> what a nice thing, huh? Can you imagine a king on task? How about a president keeping his promises? Or even doing what he said he was going to do? Even if it's bad. I don't remember the last time that happened. And that he may prolong his days in his kingdom. He and his children in the midst of Israel. So that that nation would stay on task, on path. Now, <clears throat> it's hilarious to me that we in the United States have pride about you know what we've done. Maybe we've done a lot in the couple hundred years that we've existed. But we haven't even existed long enough to consider ourselves a power at all. At all. So we're a player for, for how long? From the, from the 50s to 2000? Wow. We were a player for 50 years. Yeah, Rome was only a player for, oh, 1,000. It's a little bit different, right? The Bible says if you stay on task, your country's going to stay on task. You're going to stay on point. You'll stay right out there in the front. But if you don't, now what's our country done in that 50 years of leadership? <clears throat> in the beginning, when we took that position of leadership among the world, <clears throat> the Word of God was in schools. The Word of God was a part of life. Prayer still existed. You could say, Merry Christmas, and people weren't offended. Now, how is it now? Well, the Word of God's not in schools, nor can you pray. You can't even say Merry Christmas. Now you have to say Happy Holidays. Because we don't want to offend anybody. Actually, what that means is we only want to offend Christians. We don't care about. <clears throat> we don't care about that group. And where's our country headed? And we're still not out in front. We're, if you think we're out in front, you're crazy. We're not out in front. We're barely hanging on. Barely hanging on. If the king stays focused in the word. In chapter 18, he says, The priests and the Levites, all the tribes of Levi, shall have no part or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. So they're saying, listen, Levites, they get no inheritance. The priest's inheritance was God. We are a kingdom of priests. Our inheritance is the Lord. Our treasure is eternity with Him. If your treasure is anything else, then that's really where your heart is. Right? Isn't that what Jesus said? For where a man's heart is, there is his treasure also. What is his treasure? That's where his heart is. Where his heart is, that's his treasure. If the Lord is your treasure, then that's where your heart's going to be. If riches are your treasure, that's where your heart's going to be. That's where your heart's going to be. For the priests, their portion was the Lord. Therefore they will have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. They're going to be supported and kept by all the things that belong to the Lord. Verse 3. And this shall be the priests due from the people... 
from those who offer a sacrifice, whether it's a bull or sheep, they will give it to the priest, the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach. Why be so excited about that stomach? <laughs> Actually, they used it for a, a multiple of things. Verse 4, the first fruits of your grain, your new wine, your oil, the first of your fleece of your sheep, you will give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. So if a Levite comes from any of your gates, from where he dwells among all of Israel, and comes with all the desire of his mind to the place which the Lord chooses, then he may serve in the name of the Lord his God, as all his brethren and Levites do, who stand there before the Lord. So he's saying if a Levite comes out of, let's say, Bethlehem, Bethlehem is where he settled down because Levites, the priests, would be spread out through all the 12 tribes. If he came to Jerusalem and he wanted to serve among the Levites that were in Jerusalem, the Bible says, let him serve. He's a Levite. doesn't matter he's from Bethlehem. He can come there and serve among his brethren. He's part of the priesthood. They were all the same. They were all the same. All the same In the eyes of the Lord, they all had equal rights to the offerings that would be brought in to the temple or to those other places where they would serve. They shall have equal portions to eat besides what comes in the sale of his inheritance. And when you come into the land which the Lord your God is is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Now keep in mind, here come the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. A land flowing with milk and honey. Houses that they don't have to build. Fields that they don't have to figure out how to farm. It's all set up. They're just, God's going to displace the people that are there because God's the landlord. He owns the land. He's going to throw those people out, bring the nation of Israel in. But God says, when you come in, don't start doing what they did. It's amazing because... You go to Israel and you check out some of the archaeology, especially in the area of Jerusalem. You want to know what one of the number one things is that they find? Idols. Little idols everywhere. All over the place. Because that's what that nation was. It was full of idolatry. Serving other gods. Doing things that were abominations in the sight of the Lord. And God said, when you get there, don't be stained by them. That's why he said, if an idolater comes in your midst, get him out. Because if you let him there, you're going to become like him. And once you start down that road, you won't believe how far you'll go. The very thing you say, I never, will be the very thing that you do. He said, when you come into the land, don't be like them. Verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. Pass through the fire was a form of worship to Molech. Molech, Baal, Ashtoreth. You're dealing with uh, the same family of gods. One, the God of riches. One, the God of pleasure. And to Molech would be offered the children to appease the gods so that they would give them the crops or the rain would come from Baal 
or Ashereth would give them pleasure. Whatever the case may be, they would offer up their children. They would burn them in the altar of Molech. And they did it in a valley called Henna. Hinnom. Right in Israel today, you can walk right alongside the valley of Hinnom. If you were standing at the Dome of the Rock, at the Golden Gate, where Jesus entered into the temple, and you turned to the left, and you walked all the way down the city of David to the, to the little ditch on that side, you are in the valley of Hinnom. It's a traditional site where, where uh, uh, Judas hung himself. It was a place that Jesus referred to as hell. It was the dump. It was where they threw all the garbage. It's where they burned their trash. And it's where they burned their children. God said, Moses said to them right here, they haven't entered in, new generation, full of hope. All the great things that they're going to do for the Lord. But they read these things of God and they said, that's kind of harsh, God. You know, if my daughter comes in my midst, stone him. I think we're just going to leave him be. We'll just ignore him. And then they went from there to sacrificing their children to his God. Been better off to obey the Lord, wouldn't it? Wow, but it seems so harsh. This whole concept of only one way and and everything's got to be God's way. And I don't know, you know, I kind of have an idea how I should do things. I think I can presume to rule myself. He said, don't. Don't suffer them to be around you. And don't make your sons or daughters pass through the fire. Do you know the kings of Israel did that to their own kids? The kings. They were supposed to be reading the word of God every day. They caused their children to pass through the fire. Or one who practices witchcraft. Now this word in the Hebrew for witchcraft is a a loose term. It basically means all dark arts or, or, or occultic practices. The area was full of occultic worship. The Bible says that there is no such thing as these. all these gods are false gods. But it also tells us behind all those false gods is a demon. There's power. There's reality. The Bible says stay away from it. Stay away from all witchcraft. Don't allow your children to pass through the fire. Or allow one who practices witchcraft. Or a soothsayer. That word for soothsayer, it's an astrologer. Do you know how many newspapers in the United States don't have the horoscope in it? Yeah, not too many. I want to say 97% of the newspapers in the United States carry it. And... The numbers of how many people live their life by following a horoscope is kind of mind-boggling. It's kind of mind-boggling to me. What's the Bible say? You don't even allow the soothsayer, the astrologer, the one who's going to tell you the signs of your birth and what, how, what kind of day you should have and what sign should you marry and what sign shouldn't you marry. You think that's new? Man, that's old stuff. That's old stuff. Not a soothsayer. Or one who interprets omens. That's a concept of a fortune teller. You know, reading the tea leaves, palm reading, tarot cards. Don't allow those things around you. 
<clears throat> or a sorcerer. Now that word for sorcerer is, has a, the idea of someone who utilizes the dark arts to try to manipulate the, his circumstances or people. So that it's not the same concept in the New Testament when you see sorceries as the word pharmakia. But we're in which new or old? We're in the old, right? And the Old Testament is written in what language? Hebrew, not Greek. This is not the word pharmakia. This is a word anon in the Hebrew. It just is a, a kind of a generic term for relying on the dark arts to, to twist your life, to do things or cause things to occur in your life. Are you trying to tell me that those people don't exist in the United States today? I promise you, go to New Orleans. They got about a hundred of their shops up and down the road. You can stop at them at any time. Someone who will give you a potion. Someone who will do a spell for you. Someone who will try to manipulate things in you or around your life by utilizing the dark arts. By calling upon the powers of demons. That's what the Bible in the Old Testament calls a sorcerer. One who conjures spells. In the Hebrew that's literally tie knots. One who ties knots. The idea of this spell conjurer or, uh, or charmer is one that uh, is going to cast a spell on someone else to bind them. To bind them. You think uh, finding love potion number nine it just started at our time? Oh, I wish this person loved me well. Let me tell you, I got a spell, and I'll tell this spell, and I'll give you this, the lizard eye of newt and the bat wing ground in a powder, and you make a tea out of it. You drink that, say these words. It was then, all the way back there, that they had that. And God said, don't, don't let it around you, because it's going to stain you. It's going to affect you. And it's funny because you and I, all of us will smirk at this stuff and we'll laugh and we'll say, man, it's kind of a backwards people who would, who would get to the point where they sacrifice their children. But we're, we're not all that far away from it. In our country, we sacrifice millions, millions and millions. The woman that was... Uh, uh, Roe Ro v. Wade in the, the, the establishing of the right, a woman's right to uh, seek abortion. She said that she has been tormented by empty playgrounds and all the lives of children that have been taken. Nobody has her marching in front of, of any parades anymore. She's not stoked over what she did. Nor are most people who have had an abortion. The reality is, we do the same stuff. Well, why did you have an abortion? I couldn't afford a baby right now. That's the, the God of riches, fortune. Oh, I wasn't ready for a baby. That's the God of pleasure. Their names in Canaanite culture was Baal and Ashtoreth. And their children were offered up to Molech, their child. So we see the same kind of things in our world today. He says, nor shall you allow a medium. We have TV shows called medium. And we think, what a great thing. The ghost whisperer, she talks to the dead and straightens out their screwed up lives. 
they're dead. It's too late. There's not a whole lot of straightening up you're going to be doing. Don't allow a medium, someone who, who says they stand between, that's what a medium, stands between the living and the dead. Or a spiritist. The spiritists are those who claim psychic powers. The psychic Friends Network. You know, if that really works so good, why aren't they on Wall Street straightening all that stuff out? Oh, that's right. The Psychic Friends Network went bankrupt. I guess they didn't see that coming, right? Huh. wonder how that works out. Or one who calls up the dead. The word is necromancy. Necromancy. It's the idea of calling the dead, having the dead come forth. Is it real? All you got to do is read the Old Testament and you'll come upon a story. You come upon a story of the witch of Endor who was asked by King Saul to call forth the spirit of Samuel. And Samuel came. And the medium was freaking out. This wasn't her normal demonic person that spoke to her. This was real Samuel. Who really came back to tell Saul things weren't going to go so good for him. Yeah. Anytime a dead guy tells you you're going to be with me tomorrow. Probably not. Probably not. But what, what do we see? A king going to a witch to have her talk to the dead for him. Who should King Saul have called on? The Lord. Lord, but you see how far you'll go if you allow this to be a part of your life. If you leave those tarot cards in the closet and say, ah, oh, you know, I never really look at those things. They're going to affect. They're going to affect it. The Ouija board under the bed. Hey, let's pull it out. Watch this. It spells things. It's kind of cool. Get out. Oh, that's not so cool. We want to stay away from all those things, all those occultic kind of concepts. To stay away from all those. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives him out from before you. God says, listen, because of this, I'm driving out the nations before you, Israel, and I'm giving it to you. I own the land and I'm kicking them out. Because this is what they are. Don't do what they did. And they did what they did. And what did God do to them? He kicked them out. He kicked them out of the land. They go into to bondage as a result of their inability to, <clears throat> to listen to what God said. In verse 13, listen. You shall, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. King James Version says, you shall be perfect before the Lord your God. What's he talking about? That concept, that word for blameless or perfect, it means an utter and complete, undivided devotion to God. That God is your everything. I want to be your everything, Israel. Don't run to these other demons Don't go to these other things. Don't put your hope in all these other areas. 
Just stay with me, you and me. I will carry you through. I am going to work in your life. Just be blameless before me, undivided. Undivided, your heart focused upon me. For these nations which you will dispossess, they listen to soothsayers and diviners, just as for you, the Lord your God has appointed such for you. The Lord's going to speak to them. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Now Moses is speaking, beginning in verse 15 and going through verse 18. This is a prophecy about the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King, Jesus Christ. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Like me. First, he's going to be like Moses. He's going to be like Moses, a prophet like Moses. And he's going to be from your midst. So that means he's going to be a Jew. He's going to be a Jew. From your brethren. And him you shall hear. Like Moses, this prophet would command the attention of the nation. This means both that the nation should listen to the prophet and that some would listen to the prophet. Everything Moses said, were the people obedient to it? No. Were some of them? Sure. What about everything Jesus said? Were the people obedient to it? But were some? Sure. Like unto Moses, like unto Moses, whom you shall hear, him you shall hear, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb, in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not again hear the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see the great fire any more, lest I die. That's Mount Sinai. Remember I told you, Horeb is the same as Mount Sinai. When God himself, in fire and smoke and lightning, on top of Mount Sinai, spoke to the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. And the children of Israel said, Stop, stop, Moses, you go talk to God and tell us what he said. We don't want to hear straight from God. So here he says, just like in Mount Horeb, when you say you didn't want to hear straight from God, you wanted the word to come through the voice of a prophet. Just like that, the Lord said to me, what they have said is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth. What did Jesus say? The words my father gives me, the only words I share. The words he's put in my mouth. And he will speak them all that I command him. Everything that Jesus said came from the Father. Everything that he shared came from the Father. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. When that prophet comes and he shares what he shares, if it's not received, God says, then I will require it of him. What is it that Jesus works in our life? That perfect gift of salvation that God gives. We receive it from him. To as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. But if you reject that, then God requires you to stand for your own sin. Not such a pretty picture. We have Jesus' sacrifice for our sin to pay the price, or we will pay the price ourselves. Well, how will we know if a prophet comes and he speaks, whether he's from God or not? That's what he goes on to tell us. He says, uh, 
in verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet will die. He's saying, this is how you're going to recognize a false prophet. If you say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. If a prophet speaks and it doesn't happen, he's a false prophet, a liar, should be taken out back and stoned. You realize that there are still hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people who put all their hope and trust in the words of a false prophet who made prophecies that did not come to pass. But rather than applying what God's word said and say, God said, if that's what happens, I didn't speak through him. And he's false. He doesn't say, well, he's just trying, and he failed, so we'll give him another chance. There's no such thing as trying to be a prophet. You either are or you're not. If you're not, in the Old Testament, you got stoned. In the New Testament, at the very least, you should not listen to them at all. Certainly not seek their guidance and wisdom in things that are regarding eternal life if it does not happen that prophet which is spoken presumptuously you shall not be afraid of him don't worry about what he says as we close tonight i want to take a look at a couple of of uh, chapters in first john and first john uh we'll look at chapter two first First John chapter 2, if you, if you want to flip there with me, you can. If you don't, it's all right. I'll get there. I'll race you. It's in the New Testament. Toward the back. Yep. First John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and they, that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. This is how you recognize the false prophet, New Testament. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things i have not written to you because you didn't know the truth but because you know it and that no lies of the truth who is a liar but he who denies that jesus is the christ he is antichrist who denies the father and the son whoever denies the son does not have the father either he who acknowledges the son has the father also One of the things every false prophet or false religion will do is mess with the deity or humanity of Christ. If they do, he said, that's the spirit of Antichrist. They come to your door on Saturday, knock on your door and tell you how they have a new idea of how you should follow 
these teachings. They say we got some magazines here from the Kingdom Hall. Well, the Kingdom Hall is made up of a group of prophets who have falsely prophesied for hundred years. They falsely prophesied the return of Christ some ten times. So how long are you going to follow them? How long are you going to hear them? Not only that, do they deny the Son? Absolutely deny the Son. Who is Jesus Christ to them? The angel Michael. Not the Son of God. And he who denies the Son, what did he say? Does not have the Father. Period. I don't care how many times they try to tell you his name is Jehovah. There's no J in Hebrew, so pretty good chance it's not Jehovah. Could be Yehovah. Could be Yahweh. But nonetheless, the point is, if they mess with the deity of Christ, it's a sign. False prophet. Don't listen. I don't care if it sounds good, sounds pretty. Oh, I don't know. They had some good things to say. No, they don't. They're just like the devil. They whisper in your ear little lies. Them little lies twist you up and take you away from the truth. What's the truth? The Word of God. Period. It's the guide. It's that which leads us. The Word of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is of God. Everyone who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, born of a woman. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, And this will be a sign to you, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. He goes on in, in uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, to say this. Just the concept in closing. Little children, keep yourselves from what? Idols. That's how this whole thing started. That's how it all started. Where did the false prophets come from among you? Because you let them dwell in your midst. You let them be a part. God says, cut them out. Cut them out. Keep them out. Walk pure and undivided before me. Be blameless that your whole heart is upon the Lord. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time we can come before you. We thank you for the truth of your word, God. And we pray, Lord, that we would desire not to be hearers only, but doers also. That we would recognize that it is still the Word of God that brings life. That it is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. 
That it should be a part of our, our life. When Jesus said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, then every word in the scripture points to Jesus Christ, can teach me about him, and is important. Important for me to read, important for me to study, important for me to make part of my life. That all my hope wouldn't be in the military all my hope wouldn't be in my pleasure. All my hope wouldn't be in my riches. But that all my hope would be in the Word of God. And that I would carefully study. Show myself approved, a workman rightly dividing the Word of truth. That I would understand that I need to be Leaning into the Holy Spirit as I study your word, God, and that you will speak to me. Your word is vital and important to us today. Make us students of the scripture, Lord, with a desire to follow you all the days of our life. That you would be glorified in what we do. Father, as we live our lives out before you. God, we ask that you would... Father, just equip us, Lord, to recognize in our life those things that we allow in our midst. Even now, your spirit is saying that shouldn't be. It's going to cause you to fall. It's going to cause you to stumble. Take it outside the camp. Keep it outside of your relationship. Father God, may we desire to follow you wholly completely with our whole heart and we give you the praise and the glory for it in jesus name amen